Hey everybody, it's Jesse Pornock, the Director of Marketing here at Seven Figure Flipping. FHL is less than a month away now, and we're so excited to see you all in San Diego. We're continuing with our Road to FHL series with another amazing presentation from 2020's FHL. This time, it's Kevin Brown talking about what it means to be a hero, how you can be a hero in your life and business. It's a super inspirational message, so stay tuned and take notes. Like I said, FHL is less than a month away. The ticket is in the description. If you are ready to take your business to the next level, you need to be in San Diego this October. That's enough from me. Here's the podcast. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. I want to talk to you all today about heroes. You know, I've had this date circled on my calendar for a very long time. This is an important date for me. I was talking with my wife about all of you and what you all do, and she was as impressed as I am. And I need you to know I married a hero. I married the most amazing human being that's ever walked planet Earth. I married a woman, her name is Lisa. We've been together for 24 years. And she is amazing inside and out. She never sees a cloudy day. I do everything this woman tells me to do because I'm afraid she might leave. When she, when, when she doesn't travel with me, she always calls me. She called me first thing this morning, five o'clock. I'm in my hotel room, the phone rings. I answered the phone, I said, hello. She said, good morning, big boy, how are you? She calls me big boy and I like it. She said, good morning, big boy, how are you? I said, I'm good. She said, you know what today is? I said, I do. She said, you've got the seven-figure flipping family. I said, I know. She said, you know what I want from you? I said, yes, ma'am, I do. She said, be amazing, leave it all on the stage, give them everything you've got. Make sure your zipper's up before you get on the platform. It's happened. And the very last thing my bride says to me, the very last thing that Lisa says to Kevin is don't forget to smile. She says it for two really powerful reasons. Number one, she knows smiling is the gateway to connecting. We draw people in, we tear down walls and build bridges with a simple smile. Second reason she says it, she knows I have a poor resting face. She said, baby, you scare people, you know that, right? She said, you don't look like the speaker, you look like security. The other day she told me I look like the Wolverine. I said, you mean I look like Hugh Jackman? She said, baby, I didn't say anything like that. So listen, so that I can have complete integrity with my bride, if you ever email me, and I hope that you do, if I'm in a heavy travel cycle, Lisa will intercept the email on my behalf. And if she knows that you're part of this family, if she knows that you are on this broadcast today, she's going to ask you one question and one question only. Did he smile? Okay, so what I want to talk to you about now. Oh, listen, she's still amazed that I get to do what I do for a living. I asked her the other day, I said, sweetheart, in your wildest dreams, did you ever think I would get to do this for a living? And she thought for a minute, and she said, sweetheart, in my wildest dreams, you don't even show up. It's not that funny. I want to tell you all a story. I want to tell you all a story that changed my life. I want to tell you a story about heroes. You know, sometimes life has other plans for us. And all the way back in 2007, the trajectory of my life changed. I had a very nice corporate career. I was very content doing what I was doing. But life had other plans for me. In 2007, I was asked to give a speech about what it means to be a hero. 2,000 men and women would sit in a ballroom to hear a message from me. And up to that point in my speaking career, I had done the normal kinds of speeches, things like leadership, vision, communication, and customer service. 
I was honored to be with them just as I am to be with you today. I met with their committee three months before the event. I had my yellow pad, I had a clean sheet. I had one question written down, the question was this, what can I do that would add value to this room full of people? It's a brilliant question to ask yourself every single day of your life. What can I do that would add value to the people that I serve and serve with? I said, what can I do that would add value? And they said, first of all, Kevin, we don't want a stock speech. We don't want to hear about leadership, vision, communication, or customer service. I got a little bit nervous. I said, what is it that you want me to talk about? And they said, we're not exactly sure. I got more nervous. They said, here's what we can tell you. The men and women that you're going to be speaking to are hardworking folks, real deal entrepreneurs. They show up every single day of their lives and they pour the best of themselves into the people they serve and serve with. These folks show up in the wake of disasters, big and small. They help people put their lives back together when they're broken. A lot of our customers consider this group to be heroes. And when they used the word heroes, I wrote it down, I circled it, I underlined it. They kept talking, but I didn't hear a lot of what they said after they used the word heroes. I said, how about this? What if I give a speech about what it means to be a hero? What if I talk about what it means to be your best when it matters the most? To bring the best version of yourself to the people you serve and serve with, to the people at work and at home. And they said, man, if you could do that, that would be brilliant. You would, in fact, be our hero. Thank you so much for agreeing to do that. And then they left the room, and I completely freaked out. There was a problem. I didn't have a hero speech. I'd never even considered talking about heroes. And I don't know what you do when you freak out, but when I freak out, I go to my inner circle. The people who know me, love me, support me unconditionally. I went to my inner circle and I asked both of them this question. <laughs> and I guess technically two people, that's not a circle. I have an inner triangle is what I have. One of the members is my wife, Lisa. Lisa has a way of calming me down, centering me, getting me to focus on what I need to think about. I went to Lisa and I said, babe, I've got three months to get ready for 2,000 people. They want me to talk about heroes and I don't have a hero speech. And she said, sweetheart, you're overthinking this like you always do. I'm sure there's some overthinkers watching today. And I'm an overthinker. I can go from zero to freaked out that fast, and she knows it. She took me by the hands, and she said, babe, listen to me. When you're blessed to be on that stage, when you're blessed to be with those people, just tell them your story. Tell them about your life. She said, your life is decorated with men and women who showed up and helped you move from where you were to someplace new. People who poured into you and left you better than they found you. She said, if you want to talk about heroes, let me ask you a question. When you look in the mirror, do you see yourself, or do you see all of the people who helped you become you? Do you see the people who picked you up when life knocked you down? Do you see the people who helped you when you couldn't help yourself? How about the ones who loved you when you were unlovable, and believe me, there have been lots of times. She said, if you don't see those faces, you're missing the picture completely. She said, you're not a self-made man. You didn't get here by yourself. She said, you're the sum total and the byproduct of every single human being who's ever shown up in your life, some for a minute and some for a lifetime. People who moved you from where you were to someplace new gave you things you didn't have on your own. She said, if you want to talk about heroes, man, that's the place to start. She's a smart woman. I went to the mirror and I stared at myself for an uncomfortable amount of time. And after a while, my image began to fade. I started to see the faces of all of the influencers in my life, the preachers and teachers, friends, family, colleagues, and strangers alike. People who had shown up and moved me from where I was to someplace new. I went back to my yellow pad, I got a clean sheet. I wrote one question across the top. One question has literally transformed my life. Here's the question, what does a hero look like? How, how do we define this word hero that we hear a lot about today? Man, you turn on the news, you go online, you see this word hero, you hear about essential workers, you hear about essential roles, but I'm most interested in finding essential humans. 
You see, I wanted to know how do we define hero as a society? I've been around the world over the last five years. I've asked thousands of people that one question, what does a hero look like? I've heard every answer that you can imagine, but I have to tell you, as I sat there that day staring at my yellow pad, the very first thing I thought about was our military men and women. I thought about the men and women who put on the uniform. They go to work every single day for a little bit of money to protect you and me to keep us safe in the greatest nation on planet Earth. I live in airports. I see men and women move through airports wearing the uniform and they seem invisible to the people that they serve and I think that's tragic, don't you? I know there are some veterans on this broadcast. If you're a veteran, please raise your hand right now. Thank you for our freedom. Oh, we couldn't do what we do without all of you. To show up and do what we do, to chase our dreams, to build our businesses, to create wealth and serve people. That's what we get to do because of all of them. Oh, I sat there thinking about our military men and women and I was reminded, I have a great friend of mine, his name's Chad. Longtime buddy, he's like a brother to me. He's also married to a wonderful lady named Lisa. Makes it real easy for me and Chad. It's Lisa and Lisa, we can't mess it up. Chad's Lisa is the most patriotic human being I've ever known in my life. If she sees a man or woman in uniform, she is going to love them, hug them, thank them, and buy them food if we're anywhere near it. Any Friday night that I'm around, the four of us go out for dinner. We're sitting in a Cracker Barrel one Friday night because we're big spenders and that's where we take our girls. We're having a great time. We're laughing, catching up on the week, and sure enough, through the door comes a guy wearing fatigues. The three of us just look at each other and grin. We've seen this movie before. We know how it ends. Sure enough, hostess sits this guy two tables over from us. Chad's Lisa's on the move. She goes over and sits down across from this guy and freaks him out completely. This guy starts to push back from the table. She reaches across the table, grabs his hands, and pulls him close. And she says, sir, I want to thank you for your service to our country. I want to thank you for what you do for me and my family, and you don't even know who we are. I want to thank you for keeping my boys safe. I have two of them. I want to thank you for keeping my dogs safe. I have two of them, Shelties. I want to thank you for keeping my husband safe. I have just one of those. And it's always in that order. The boys, the dogs, Chad. This guy's wide-eyed and speechless. He doesn't know what to do with it. And she tops it off with this. She said, sir, it would be my honor and my privilege to pay for your meal tonight as a small token of appreciation for what you do for me and my family. This guy had had all he could handle. He let go of her hands and he pushed himself back and he said, oh ma'am, I'm not in the military. I've just been out hunting. The funniest thing I have ever seen in my life. We lost it. We fell out right there in the Cracker Barrel. Listen, Lisa turned three shades of red, came back over to the table, and we did what any good group of friends would do. We beat it into the ground for like 30 minutes. Oh, we did. We wore it out. We did the voice and everything. Oh, ma'am, I'm not in the military. I've just been out hunting. After about 30 minutes, we knew it wasn't going to be a good night for Chad if we didn't knock it off. And he said something to his bride that was powerful. He looked at his Lisa and he said, baby, you can never go wrong doing the right thing. You can never go wrong doing the right thing, treating somebody with kindness and respect, not because there's something in it for us, but by virtue of their status as a human being, they've already earned it. Friends, it seems to me that we've moved to a place in our world today where everything's a transaction. Everything's a contract, a condition. I'll do this for you if you do this for me. I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. You can never go wrong doing the right thing. So what, we bought a hunter his meal that night, big deal. In fact, if you're ever down our way, throw on some hunting clothes and we'll meet you at the Cracker Barrel. I went back to my yellow pad and got a clean sheet. I went back to that question, what does a hero look like? It's when I started asking anybody who would listen. I've heard every answer that you can possibly imagine. I heard about our world changers, Mandela, 
Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa. I heard about first responders, the police, the fire, the EMTs, doctors and nurses, the healers who put us back together when we're broken. I heard about moms and dads, teachers and coaches. I heard about the iconic brands of our day, companies like Southwest Airlines, Apple, Zappos, Amazon, Disney. Companies who show up and do what they do and they play in a space with other people but we don't recognize the competition. Companies who come along and we pull them out of the pile and we lift them up, we emulate, we want to be like them. We vote with our dollars over and over again to do business with them. They're special in how they show up. They talked about sports heroes. Man, I heard names like Peyton Manning, LeBron James, Serena Williams, Michael Jordan. The once in a generation players who come along when they step onto the field, they walk onto the court, they play a game that most people are unfamiliar with. And not only do they play at a high level, they elevate the entire team to a new place. And throughout this entire conversation, every single person I've ever asked the question, what does a hero look like? They've defined heroes in this way. Heroes are ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I see you've heard this too. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. The first time I heard it, I wrote it down. It seemed reasonable to me. But I have to tell you, after I heard it over and over again, a hundred times, two hundred times, a thousand times over, I heard ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Something wasn't settling well with me. You see, here's the truth. As we get older, as we get more successful, we start to say things that don't make sense. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things, I understand why we say it, but it makes no sense. It aligns with our humility, but listen, if you buy into this idea of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, you have to first convince yourself that you're ordinary in the first place. And I don't think that's how it was drawn up, do you? I don't think there's a person that's part of this community, I don't think there's a person watching today that was put here to make an ordinary contribution. I don't think you were put here to move through life with everybody else flying below the radar trying to fit in and only occasionally doing something noteworthy. You see, the one person that I wanted to talk to, the one person that I wanted to ask the question, what does a hero look like, was the 10-year-old version of myself. Oh, if I could have gotten to that kid and asked him what a hero looks like, guess what he would have said? Oh, he would have raised his hand and said, a hero looks like me. You see, we had a brilliant way of seeing the world when we were kids. Oh, not even the sky was the limit when we were kids. And I had heroes when I was a kid. How many of you had heroes when you were a kid? Oh, I did. Oh, you better believe it. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Oh, I was a kid, but I knew she was something special. And then I grew up and married a real life Wonder Woman. But of all the heroes when I was a kid, I wanted to be Superman. Every little boy wanted to be the Man of Steel. I used to tie a bath towel around my neck and run through the house jumping off furniture pretending to fly. It drove my mother crazy, and my wife doesn't like it either. I remember one time I had my cape on. I'm running through the house, I jumped off the couch and I flew three feet. Climbed the cabinet next to the refrigerator, I jumped, I flew five feet. I had no fear, I went outside, I climbed the tree next to our garage. I got on the roof of the garage, I walked right to the edge. I looked down at the driveway below, I looked out at the big blue sky. I gave the cape a tug. Sometimes you have to trust the cape. I put my arms out, I closed my eyes, I took a deep breath and I jumped and I flew straight down. Landed in the driveway, splat. And in one superhuman leap, my mom from the house to the driveway swooped in, picked up her baby boy, dusted me off, checked me for bruises, kissed me right here on the forehead and then spanked me like I've never been spanked before in my life. And from that moment on, Superman 
was grounded. And I wanted to talk to that kid. I wanted to ask him one question. When did you forget how to fly? When did you forget that you had something that nobody else on the planet has? You see, ladies and gentlemen, it is my belief that we were created with talents, gifts, and abilities as unique as our fingerprints. Put here to use those gifts in the service of others, to solve problems, to be heroic, to be heroic to the people we lead, to the people we live with. I wanted to talk to that kid and ask him when he, when he learned that he could no longer fly. You see, when we were kids, we had perfect innovation, perfect creativity. There was nothing that we couldn't do when we were kids. We had big dreams and an imagination that could match it. Listen, when I was a kid, we lived for the day when somebody in our neighborhood would buy a washer or dryer. Do you know why? Oh yeah, you know, we wanted the box. Why did we want the box? Because it wasn't a box. It was anything but a box and everything that we could imagine it to be, a spaceship, a race car, an army fort. Oh, and if we got really lucky, somebody would buy a refrigerator, jackpot. Now we had a time machine. Oh, listen, we would take that box to the backyard and we would splash our imagination all over that box. We would splash our color all over that box, our uniqueness all over that box. To the heavens and back in a single afternoon, there were no silos, there were no politics. There was no jockeying for position. There was no, no, no thought of failure. And it was special. It was special. We created our own world in that silly cardboard box. And then we grow up. We grow up and our vision begins to narrow. We grow up and we no longer see the world as it can be. Tragically, we start to see it as it is. We no longer see each other as we are. You see, we look, look at people and we don't see who they really are. We see them for what they can do for us. We don't see them for those talents, gifts, and abilities. And over time, life squeezes that kid out of us and our vision narrows and we grow up and we talk about the box very differently. You see, we grow up and we talk about the box. You know the one that we all love to talk about? The one where we've convinced ourselves that we have to think outside the box. You see, I told you we grow up and we say things that don't make sense. Oh, I understand why we say it. It's about innovation and creativity, but it really makes no sense. You see, we can think outside the box, but guess where the game is played? The game is played inside the box. And it's the people who show up and they splash their uniqueness on that box. They splash their color on that box. They do their best thinking in the box. Those are the people that we're drawn to. We vote with our dollars. We want to be led by them. We want to be married to them. We want to be friends with them. And here's what I've learned. On a decade-long journey, here's what I've learned. Heroes are not ordinary people doing extraordinary things, not by a long shot. It's, in fact, just the opposite. Heroes are extraordinary people who choose not to be ordinary. You see, ordinary is a choice. Ordinary is a choice, ladies and gentlemen, and far too many people show up every day of their life and they make an ordinary choice. They make an ordinary choice in business. They make an ordinary choice as leaders. They make an ordinary choice as parents and spouses and friends and fellow human beings. They fly below the radar. They march in line with the rest of the crowd. They get locked into a rut and they're afraid to break free. Paul Meyer used to say a rut is nothing more than a grave with the ends kicked out. Oh, they march through life, ordinary, flying below the radar, average at best. Extraordinary people choosing not to be ordinary, this changed everything for me. It's amazing when you become aware of something, you start to see it everywhere you go, and I most certainly have. 
I've been around the world looking for those people, people like you, who show up and they play above the line. They look different when they do what they do. I want to know how do they show up in your world and mine, the drive through the dry cleaners, the gas station, the grocery store. Why is it that we're attracted to certain people? I, I began to notice four things that heroes do that are very different than everybody else. The first thing that I noticed about heroes is that heroes help people. Oh, I know you're impressed and you want to write that down, but I got more. You see, on the surface, we all understand that being helpful is good for business. We've been taught that being a good servant is good for the bottom line, but here's the problem. Most people in the world today are only willing to be helpful to the extent that there's a return on investment. Oh, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. You see, heroes understand there's a part two to this idea of being helpful. There's a dot, 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 if you will. Heroes help people, dot, 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 with no strings attached. You see, it's that little no strings attached piece that separates world-class performers from everybody else. It's that willingness to reach beyond what is required to do the remarkable, to take one more step than everyone else is prepared to take. Heroes help people with no strings attached. Second thing I know about heroes, heroes create an exceptional experience for the people they serve. Exceptional, exquisite in every way if they put their name on it. You see, they care about this little thing called reputation. They care about how they show up in the market they know that heroes show up and they look like they can solve problems. They sound like they can solve problems. They look the part and they play the part. Heroes create an exceptional experience for everybody in their life. Third thing I know about heroes, heroes take 100% responsibility for their life and everything in it. Never one time will you see them push integrity outside of themselves and blame other people for their lack of success. Oh, they're not gonna blame the weather, the government, the economy, or anyone else. You see, they're going to raise their hand and say, what can I do with what I have to create the best possible outcome? What can I do to move from where I am to someplace new, to carve out a better piece of the market, to create a better environment where my team can grow, to create a household where the people flourish? Heroes take responsibility for their life and everything in it. The last thing I know about heroes, heroes see life in each other through the lens of optimism. They see life not as it is, but as it can be. People not as we are, but as we should be. In my book, that spells hero. And I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story that embodies all four of those qualities. A story that changed my life forever. I'm sure all of you are familiar with Walt Disney World. This story is about when we took our son to Walt Disney World. And as you know, Disney is a magical place. It's magical because when you go there, your money disappears. You understand that's how it works. You go to Orlando, everything you own stays in Orlando. The mouse is a pickpocket. You get this, right? Listen, we went, to, we went to Walt Disney World. Now, I need to introduce you to my son. My son is a very special kid, very much like James. His name is Josh. Now, if you met him, he would tell you his name is Josh Brown. He thinks it's hyphenated all one word. Josh has autism. We've known that since he was a little bitty guy. When he was seven years old, he discovered Walt Disney World. And if you know anything at all about kids with autism, when these kids get something on their brain, it's the only thing that exists in the whole wide world. For two years, this kid obsessed about Disney. 24-7, 365, Dad, I want to go to Disney. Dad, please, please, please take me to Disney. We waited until he was nine years old. We wanted to make sure he could enjoy the trip, and it wasn't so overwhelming for me. I'm not a good vacation taker. I never have been. Vacationing for me was just a reason to work from somewhere other than the office. Anybody have this problem? Oh, you better believe it. 
That laptop went everywhere I did. For years, Lisa thought she was married to a laptop computer. Oh, I would come home in the name of family time, dog at my feet, boy to my left, wife to my right, laptop open, present, but not accounted for. Hard lessons to learn and many never do. Lisa made me sign a metaphorical contract. Dad, I need you for eight days. Dad, I need you to show up and just be a dad. Leave the briefcase and the laptop at home. It'll be waiting for you. I signed the metaphorical contract with a simple yes, ma'am. We packed our bags and we made a list. If you know anything at all about autism, you know these kids like everything mapped out. No surprises, no guesswork. My wife's background is accounting and finance. We showed up at Walt Disney World with an Excel spreadsheet. Everything we were going to do was mapped out by the minute. Rides, parks, meet and greets, everything. We had our list, we packed our bags, we took off. We got to Orlando four hours ahead of our luggage. Not a big deal, lots to see, lots to do, we went exploring. Did a little reconnaissance mission for Josh Brown's big adventure. Back in the room, the bags finally show up, it's about 8.30. We unpack, we settle in, and we go to bed. We're not tired, we're anxious to get the next day started. We're laying in bed, eyes are closed, nobody's asleep. And it reminded me of the old Disney commercial. There's an old Disney commercial. Little boy laying in, in his bed the night before Disney. His eyes are closed, but he's giggling under his breath. And his mom leans down and says, honey, you've got to go to sleep. <laughs> and the little boy says, but I'm so excited. That was me. I was so excited about this trip for Josh that I couldn't sleep. Bright and early the next morning, we got up. I said, Josh Brown, where are we eating breakfast? He said, Dad, reading in this hotel, we're going to ease you into this. No lines, no trams. He's a smart boy. Out the door, down the escalators. We get to the restaurant, and the hostess greets us with a giant smile. Welcome, Brown family. We're so glad that you're here. We have a table just for you. Now, I'm making mental notes. Listen, I told Lisa that I wouldn't work on this trip, but I didn't promise her that I wouldn't pay attention to what's happening at Disney. I'm in the people business. My clients are in the people business. I met the customer experience mecca of the universe. I want to know how they do what they do. How do they draw you in and make you feel special? How do they create magic over and over again? How do they get so much money out of your wallet and make you feel good about it? Radar's up. I'm paying attention. I'm writing down. I see it. Giant smile. Check. Brown family, don't we love the sound of our own name? Table just for us. How special. She takes us to our table, hands us menus, takes two steps back and says, Brown family, may I be the first to wish you a magical day. <laughs> you people are brilliant. That's awesome. Magical day. She leaves. Waitress comes over. Waitress has no expression. She actually looks a little bit ticked off. She comes over and she looks at my wife and she says, can I get you something to drink? And Lisa says, you can, but I need to tell you my son is on a very special diet. Lots he can have and lots that he can't have. And before Lisa could say another word, the waitress put her hand in my wife's face and said, ma'am, I need to stop you right there. I'm not going to be able to take your order. You're going to need to speak to the executive chef. And she disappeared. And now I'm ticked off. I have a boatload of money wrapped up in this trip. I have some expectations. Smiling is one of them. If you could whistle while you work, I'd greatly appreciate that a lot. In fact, if you could hum, it's a small world, that would be terrific. And Lisa was looking at me. Lisa knew I was upset. She leaned over and she said, honey, I need you to just keep your mouth shut, please. I don't need Captain Freakout to make an appearance right now. This is day one of the vacation. Please don't ruin it. I acknowledged. I bit my tongue. I didn't say a word. And from the back of the restaurant, the executive chef, easy to spot, big white coat, giant Chef Boyardee hat, she comes out and she, she gets to our table and she looks right at Josh Brown and she says, good morning, sunshine, how are you? And Josh lowered his head and he said, good morning, he's super shy. 
She said, my name is B. I understand somebody's on a special diet. How can I help? And she pulls a notebook out and she starts writing down everything that Lisa says he can have and everything that he can't. And then she starts asking questions. Oh, the great ones always ask good questions. Tell me about his diet. What's in that? How do you make that? Where do you get that? Most important question, what's his favorite? She gets done and she looks back to Josh and she says, okay, sunshine, what's for breakfast? Apple pancakes, please. That's his favorite. Sunshine, I'm so sorry. I don't have the ingredients. Mom told me how to make them, but I don't have the stuff. How about some bacon and eggs and some special toast? He nodded. She left. Miss Personality came back and took the rest of our order. We ate. We left. We were completely satisfied. There's an important point I want to make about being satisfied. I have a great friend of mine. Her name is Kelly Swanson. She says, nobody notices normal. Nobody notices normal. Nobody notices when the people you serve are satisfied. Nobody notices when the people at home are satisfied. Satisfaction doesn't even get you a ticket to the dance. Yet you can go into 99.9% of all organizations and guess what they're chasing? Satisfaction. Customer satisfaction, client satisfaction, vendor satisfaction, employee satisfaction. Satisfaction makes you like everybody else. Don't you want enthusiastic ambassadors for your brand? Don't you want unpaid spokespeople who will tell your story better than you ever could? Satisfaction. I mean, think about it. Mick Jagger's been chasing it his whole life. He can't find it. Day two at Disney. Josh Brown, where are we eating breakfast? Dad, I want to go see Aunt B. Who? I looked at Lisa and she said, B, the executive chef, B-E-A. He said, Dad, I want to go see Aunt B. I said, Brother, we've got a spreadsheet. We're supposed to go somewhere else. He said, Dad, I want to go see Aunt B. Guess where we went? Out the door, down the escalators. We get to the restaurant. Hostess greets us with a giant smile. Welcome back, Brown family. No reservation, no problem. We have a table just for you. I'm sure you do. Takes us to the exact same table we were at the day before. Guess who's working our section? Yeah, and she still hadn't got the memo. In fact, she saw that it was us, didn't even come to the table. Stopped in her tracks and went to the back of the restaurant. And I'm thinking, surely during onboarding, somebody told her she works at the happiest place on earth. No clue. From the back of the restaurant, Aunt B, making a beeline out to our table, she says, good morning, sunshine, to which I promptly said, good morning. She said, I'm not talking to you. She looks at Josh and she says, good morning, sunshine. What's for breakfast? Apple pancakes, please. You got it, sweetheart, coming right up. Whoa, time out, Aunt B. Do you remember us from yesterday? Yes, sir, I do. Aunt B, yesterday you didn't have, sir, why are you calling me Aunt B? It's a fair question, sorry. B, yesterday you didn't have the stuff. True, today you do? Yes, where did you get it? The store. So you sent someone to the store? No, sir, I stopped on my way home last night. We have them all over Florida, anybody can go. I looked at her and I asked her probably the dumbest question I've ever asked anybody and I've asked a lot. I looked at her and I said, B, why would you do that? Profound answer. I thought that's what he wanted. Let me make a note. Give the customer what they want or need whether we serve it or not. Ball game. Guess where we ate every day for eight days. Listen, when those apple pancakes shaped like mouse ears were slid under my boy's face, from that day to this, I've never seen him smile the way he smiled that day. When we left, we bought a card. Josh Brown signed it. Mom and Dad put money in it. When we got home, we wrote her boss's letter and we raved about our experience with Aunt B. You know there's only two times that people talk about you. 
when you exceed their expectations or miss them completely. And guess when they like to talk about you the most? Oh, you better believe it. You drop the ball, you miss the mark. Oh, they're going to tweet that baby out to the world. We bought another card. Josh Brown signed it. Mom and dad put money in it. We have bought her birthday presents, Christmas presents. Disney is still costing me a fortune. But isn't it true? We'll pay a premium. Oh, we'll pay a premium for somebody who reaches beyond what is required to do the remarkable. We'll pay a premium for somebody committed to owning this experience, to owning this space right here, this little space called now. We'll pay a premium for somebody who's willing to go the extra mile, which is only one more step than everyone else is willing to take. We'll pay a premium for that, but in the absence of it, we'll be commoditized and compete on price every single time. You see, when Josh was a little boy, we sat in a school conference room. Big mahogany table, doctors on one side, teachers on the other. Josh was five, and we were scared young parents. We knew what they were going to tell us, but we were, we were afraid to say it out loud. I'll never forget, a doctor spoke first. He said, Mr. and Mrs. Brown, your son has autism. You need to ready yourself for the road ahead. It's going to be a steep climb. There's some things you need to understand about your son. He's uneducable in many ways. He will not learn like the other children. In fact, your son most likely will not graduate high school. If he does, he will get a special education diploma. There will be an asterisk by his name. Friends, we've got to be really careful. The vision we cast for the people in our lives, at work and at home, they will live up to or down to the label that you put on them. I looked over at Lisa and the tears were streaming down her face. Teardrops falling on the papers that were laying in her lap and I became angry. As a father, I'm embarrassed to tell you this. I started thinking about everything my son wasn't going to do. I started thinking about everything Josh wasn't going to become. The life that I vicariously wanted to live through this boy had just vanished. He wasn't going to be the star Little League shortstop like his dad was. He wasn't going to be the star quarterback and captain of the high school football team like his dad was not. And while I sat there having a pity party of one, I looked back and the teardrops were gone. And thankfully, oh thankfully, moms get a little something more than dads. Natural-born leaders with natural-born vision, especially when it comes to their babies. She sees that boy not as he is, but as he can be, which is the number one job of leadership and parenting and friendship. She sees that boy for all the hope and promise that was placed in him at birth, and then she did what leaders do. She took the storyline that life had given our young family, and she started to rewrite it. She took that storyline, she looked at her son, and she said, you cover your ears. Don't you listen to him. I heard what he said, baby, that's not your destiny. You keep your eyes right here. Mom's got a different plan for your life. Friends, for 18 years, I've had the privilege and the honor of watching a leader with the title of mother do her work. And it's amazing when you have a compelling vision. You see, I'm amazed at how many people get up every day of their life and they take the storyline life gives them and they walk it out as though it was their truth. They take the storyline that a pandemic gives them. They take the storyline that a doctor gives them. The storyline that someone else's opinion gives them and they write it down and they accept it as their reality, and they never, ever give one thought to the fact that the pen is in their hands. I've watched for 18 years as this compelling vision has attracted the teachers, the tutors, the guides, the mentors, the coaches. All these people pouring into our son's life, pouring into his young mind, taking him places he could have never gotten to on his own. And in May of 2016, we were invited to a graduation ceremony. 300 kids would graduate from Gallatin High School in Gallatin, Tennessee. We were there. Mom and I were in the upper deck. We watched as all of the kids marched in. 300 kids marched into this gymnasium. We were only looking for one.
and we saw him. Standing six feet tall, his cap was crooked. We knew he was ours. He marched in and he found his seat. Before he sat down, he turned and he looked at his mom and dad and he gave us a nod. And they started calling names. 300 names were called that night. We heard one name the whole night, Joshua Douglas Brown. When that kid stood up, I have to tell you, a chill ran down my spine. Oh, I saw a young man stand up and he steadied his cap. He put his shoulders back and his chin up. And he started marching to that stage with confidence and purpose, bordering on swagger as he made his way to that stage. Halfway there, he grabbed the honors cords that were draped around his neck. Walking tall and proud, this boy made his way to the stage. Mom and I came from the upper deck. We were standing right there. Cameras locked and loaded to capture the moment when that boy's foot hit the stage. And when his foot hit the stage, I heard the voice of my father. My father who used to tell me, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. All that matters is what you believe. It does not matter what anyone else thinks. All that matters is what you believe. The doctors didn't think my boy could learn. The teachers didn't think he would graduate, much less with honors. But they underestimated what he believed. And he believed what he believed because he was, he was fortunate enough to have a mother who wasn't buying in to the storyline. He believed what he believed because a leader with the title of mother was willing to get down in the ditch and do the work. Success isn't easy. Leadership isn't for babies. Listen, if it was all easy to do, everyone would do it. If it was easy to be an entrepreneur, if it was easy to help people and create wealth, everyone would do it. It's not. Sometimes it's a dirty business. You've got to get down in the weeds. You've got to roll your sleeves up and go to work because you can never bring out the best in others until you find the best in yourself first. You see, we cannot give what we do not have. You see, they weren't there for the late night study sessions. They weren't there when mother and son couldn't be in the same room together. They most certainly weren't there when my son put his head in his hands and said, why doesn't my brain work? And a leader with the title of mother leaned down and said, sweetheart, your brain's just fine. It takes a little more work to be special. He marched across that stage and he got his diploma. And I looked and there was no asterisk on it anywhere, I can assure you. He marched down those stairs. I put my arms out to hug him and he walked right by me to hug his mother, as he should. Driving home, I could see his face in the rearview mirror. He was holding his diploma and he was smiling, which is rare. At the dinner table, he's still wearing his cap and gown and holding his diploma. He pulled it down just slightly and he looked over the top and he said, I did good, didn't I? I said, you did better than good, brother. You knocked it out of the park. Your mom and I love you so much and we're so proud of you. To reward you, we'll take you anywhere you want to go in the world. He said, Dad, I want to go see Aunt B. You're kidding me. He said, I want to go see Aunt B. In May of 2016, May of 2016, the email started flying between Josh Brown and Aunt B. They'd stayed connected for nearly 10 years, you see. Because of one moment in time when a leader reached into this young boy's life, when a leader decided to create an experience that he would never, ever forget, when she singled him out of millions of guests to make him feel like the only person on the planet. Because of one moment in time, they had stayed tethered together. They planned the perfect reunion. We called it the reunion tour of 2016. And we went back to Disney World in July of 2016, which was a mistake. The average temperature in Orlando in July is 478 degrees. But we went back for another eight days. And on Wednesday, Wednesday of our reunion tour, Hollywood Studios. Listen, Aunt B's been at Disney for almost 30 years. An amazing leader, a remarkable human. Hundreds of chefs and millions of guests have flowed in and out of her care. Hollywood and Vine Restaurant, it's lunchtime. 
Hundreds of people waiting to get in this place. Even by Disney standards, it was a lot of people. I made my way through the crowd to get to the young man at the host stand. And when I got to the host stand, there was a gentleman standing there. He was number one in line and proud of his position. He was intent on not letting anyone buy him. So I moved to the left, and he moved left. I moved back to the right. I did a little juke move. He juked me back. I moved back to the left, and I reached up, and I nudged. I, nudged, I, I pushed him. And I got to the young man at the host stand. And I said, three for lunch, please. He said, yes, sir. What name is that reservation under? I said, we, we, we don't have a reservation. He said, well, you're not getting in here. You see all the people, don't you? I said, I do. He said, it's a meet and greet day. Handy Manny is here. I do not know who that is, but apparently he's very popular. I said, brother, we've got to get in there. We're here to see Chef B. And he said, it's not happening without a reservation. I said, I'll give you everything I've got in my wallet. And he said, sir, how much do you have in your wallet? He disappeared inside. He came back a few minutes later, gave us one of those restaurant pagers with the lights on it. And he said, here's the deal. It's going to be 45 minutes to get you in the door. You will not get a table. You will not get to eat. But you can say hello to your friend, Chef B. I said, we'll take it. He said, I still need a name. I said, tell her it's Josh Brown, and he's here for apple pancakes. He smiled as he wrote it down. We went and sat down with the other 10,000 people. Not two seconds later, this other little Disney guy shows up. He's got an earpiece. Looked like Disney CIA. He came out and he looked at us and he said, are you the Apple Pancakes family? I said, we go by the Apple Pancakes gang, thank you. He looked right at Josh and he said, you must be Josh Brown. My name's Mike. It's a pleasure to meet you. You're famous around here. Please follow me. And this guy started escorting us past everyone. And at first, we were embarrassed by the treatment, but about halfway there, we caught our stride. And we're moving past all of these people, and we get right to the entrance. We get right to the entrance, and there's my friend from the host stand, number one in line, proud of his position. He's got laser beams on us. He's not proud of this newfound celebrity of ours. And I got right up next to this guy, and to this day, I do not know what happened. Something spoke in my spirit. Something welled up inside of me, and I looked at this guy, and I stuck my tongue out at him. I am not proud of that. All of a sudden, everybody disappeared. We walked into that restaurant, and there was our old friend standing there with her arms open. And this son of mine, who does not show much affection, does not like people in his personal space, walked up to this woman and fell into her arms. They hugged for what felt like an hour. It was a powerful moment for mom and dad to watch our son do that. And then my business brain kicked in. I said, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you own a moment in time so fully and completely that it transcends special needs, race, religion, gender, and every other label we like to slap on each other? How do you do that? How do you own this space called now so fully and completely that it transcends a decade and feels like yesterday? Listen, you want to take your business, your life, the people you love, you want to take them places they've never been? It starts right here in this space. Because if you don't own this moment, this season in time, and make no mistake, this season this season called COVID-19 is a season. It's not the new normal. It's not a new reality. It is a season that will pass. But the question before us is what will we do with this season? Will we use it as an excuse or as a catalyst? You see, the great ones, the great ones never manage change. They always leverage change. They know that in the midst of this moment, they have an opportunity to leapfrog everybody else. You see, if we don't own this moment, somebody else will. Listen, we not only ate, man, we spent two and a half hours with Aunt B, and she told us her apple pancake story. She said, Mr. and Mrs. Brown, 
When you were here in 2007, I didn't know anything about autism. From that day to this, I've not stopped learning about the effects of nutrition on kids like Josh. You've made me better at what I love to do. Thank you. Mr. and Mrs. Brown, when you were here in 2007, we didn't have a special dietary meal program for kids like Josh. After you left, we got back in the box and we went to work. We created a new framework for our special dietary meal program, and I'm happy to report in 2016 we'll serve over one million kids like Josh. We can't thank you enough for what you've done for our business. See, leaders, we always think that influence is a one-way street. We always think that influence is a one-way street. Influence is always a two-way street. It is always a two-way street. We're influencing and being influenced 24-7, 365. The sad truth is we give very little thought to whom we give that power. She said, Mr. and Mrs. Brown, I want you to know what a profound influence that your son has had on my life. And then all these managers from other parts of the park joined her for this conversation. They were there to meet my son and to give him free stuff, which I so greatly appreciated. They were there to meet him because she had told his story at every Disney town hall meeting they let her speak at. Because of one moment in time, you see, something always lingers when we leave. You see, we're back to this thing called reputation. That thing that goes before us and announces our arrival and lingers long after we leave the question, friends, is what lingers after you leave. What lingers after you hang up the phone? What lingers after you push send? What goes before you and announces your arrival? What do people do when they see your name on their caller ID? Is it hello or goodbye? Accept or decline? You see, heroes always care about how they show up. They care about what gets left behind. We knew how Aunt B had influenced our family. We had no idea what Josh had left behind. She said, Mr. and Mrs. Brown, you will always be special to me. And listen, when Josh got done with high school, he went on to college. The kid that wasn't supposed to finish high school went on to college. And when he got done with college, we said, what's next, brother? He said, Dad, I want to move to Orlando, Florida. I want to be close to Aunt B. I want to be able to see her when I want to. And in July of last year, the Brown family packed everything they owned, and they moved from Nashville, Tennessee to Orlando, Florida because of one moment in time. You see, one moment in time, you can change your entire life. One moment in time, you can change somebody else's life if you're willing. We've watched our son. We've watched our son. He goes to Walt Disney World twice a week. A young man with autism who can't handle, in most situations, being around other people. But he goes to Walt Disney World twice a week by himself, surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people, which proves a point. Your passion will override your fear if you'll let it. Your passion will override your fear if you'll let it. You see, the last thing I'll tell you about heroes Heroes see life very differently than everybody else. Heroes see life through the lens of optimism. They see people not as we are, but as we can be. You see, I learned about optimism from my first mentor in business. My first mentor in business was a guy named David. David was a crusty old sales guy from South Texas, and he got a hold of me at a point in my life when I needed to be gotten a hold of. From age 13 to 16, I went through a dark period in my life. I was betrayed by some adults that I trusted very much, and life got complicated. Life got ugly, and it spiraled out of control. I started to burn bridges. I developed some bad habits. I hung around the wrong people. By the time I was in my early 20s, I lived in my car. I quit school in the 10th grade. I have no college training. Josh is the first in my family to go to college. 
I remember sitting in my car. I had nowhere else to go. Everybody who had loved me, they still loved me, but they didn't want me around. They gave up on that kid. You see, I was dragging that 13-year-old kid everywhere I went, and I used him as an excuse for not doing well. Maybe you know people like that, people that grab onto yesterday and they use it as a reason not to move forward. They play those old tapes, they drag around their failures, and they use them as a reason not to move forward. Sitting in that car with that 13-year-old kid, contemplating life, do I stay or do I go? Too chicken to check out, so I had to figure out a way to make money. I was broke, I was desperate, and that's when I met David. Crusty old sales guy, and he was willing to give me a shot. I told him my story, I told him all about that 13-year-old kid. I said, David, I have no college training, I have no credentials. He said, I don't care about your credentials, I care about your heart. I care about whether or not you're willing to follow a system. I care about whether or not you're willing to practice the fundamentals. I can teach you how to sell, and he did. He gave me a skill set that changed my life forever financially. I'll always be grateful. But the greatest gift he gave me was not the gift of selling. It was the gift of seeing. He was the first one in my life to take the storyline that life had given a 13-year-old kid, and he started to rewrite it. He took the storyline of a 13-year-old kid, and he started to rewrite it. He started dripping on me. He started mentoring me. He started loving me back. And he worked on me every single day. This boss became a friend, became a mentor, became like a second father. When I look in the mirror, he's one of the first faces that I see standing next to my own dad. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy for this guy because every time I missed the mark, every time I I didn't hit the numbers, I'd grab that 13-year-old kid and I'd dump him all over David. I said, David, you don't know what they did to me. And one day, David, David had had all he could handle. He had heard enough. He said, son, I don't want to hear that story again. You've told me that story so many times, I could probably tell it better than you. You told me that you wanted to go somewhere new, but all you talk about is where you've been. He said, if you want to go somewhere new, I'll take you. But if you want to go back there, if you want to live the life that you had, you're going to have to go by yourself because I'm not interested. And he kept dripping on me, and he kept pouring into me. And one day that 13-year-old kid disappeared, and I've not seen him in a long time. The demon stopped chasing me. And I'll never forget, I'll never, ever forget the day my hero called me and said he had cancer. He said, KB, it's, it's in my lungs, my throat, and my windpipe. Stage four, they say. Doctor's given me six months to live. Says I should get a haircut. It'll be my last. I said, six months to live. What are you going to do, brother? He said, I'm moving in with my mother-in-law. That'll be the longest six months of my life. He had a brilliant sense of humor. I got angry with him. I said, David, this isn't the time for jokes. This is serious. He said, I know. He said, I know it is, son. He said, if you want to know what I'm going to do, I'm going to go to work on me. Lung cancer doesn't just happen. I did this. This is a product of my own creation. I got cocky. I got arrogant, thought I was bulletproof. I stopped practicing the fundamentals, and now I'm paying a price. He said, I'm going to go to work on me. I can beat this, the eternal optimist, rewriting the storyline that a doctor gave him. I said, what can I do? He said, pray. So I did. Ten years after a six-month diagnosis, we're sitting on his patio in South Texas. He had beaten cancer four times in ten years. He had letters from three doctors who said the cancer's gone. We don't know where it went. It was back for a fifth time and back with a vengeance. I was in Nashville. He was still in Texas. He called me. He said, KB, it's back, and I'm tired. I'd like to see you before I go. I packed in five minutes. I made a 14-hour trip in 12. David didn't have any boys. He had two girls. When I walked through the front door, Stacy was on one side of the recliner and Shelly was on the other, and the guy in the recliner 
I didn't recognize. But I knew his voice. You see, we never, ever forget the voice of influence in our lives. He looked up over his glasses at me and he said, my boy's home. Now all my kids are here. They helped him out of the chair and he met me right here in the middle of the living room floor and he put his arms around me. He squeezed me tight. I could feel his whiskers on my cheek. They were wet as he started to cry. He whispered in my ear. He said, I'm glad you're home, son. Let's go outside for a minute. I want to talk to you. We went outside and sat on the patio and we sipped sweet tea and other things. We talked about old times. We laughed. We cried two hours just like that. And then the conversation got serious. He reached over to grab my arm and he missed. He actually grabbed my foot. And David was a proud man. He would never want me to know that he wasn't aiming for my foot. So he just held my foot. And then he looked at me and he said, I'm proud of you, son. I'm really proud of you. Friends, those are the most powerful words on planet Earth next to I love you. And we never, ever outgrow the need to hear them. Don't ever forget that. He looked at me and he said, I'm proud of you, son. I, I said, yeah, I made it. And he said, I didn't say you made it. Don't you ever say that again. He said, I'm not going to be here to remind you of what we've learned together. I don't need you walking around like you've arrived someplace that you haven't. He said, I'm going to tell you something, son. As long as there's a breath in your body, you've got work to do. As long as there's a breath in your body, there's a version of you that you haven't even met yet a version that the rest of the world desperately needs. And when he said those words, he looked away and the tears started streaming down his face. Before that day, I'd never seen him cry. I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, what's wrong? He said, I'm scared. I'm really scared, Kevin. I said, come on, man, you don't have to be afraid to die. He looked at me and he said, I'm not afraid to die. Not for one minute am I afraid to die. But after 64 years on this planet, I'm scared that I never lived. I'm scared, son, that I didn't chase the dreams that I left inside. I'm scared that I didn't show up for the moments of my life, for the people who meant the most to me. I'm scared that I was racing through life chasing something that turns out was right in front of me the whole time. I'm scared to death, son, that after 64 years on this planet, nobody will even know I was here. Those words broke my heart. This guy not only changed my life, he saved it. I wouldn't have the blessing of being with you today or anywhere else for that matter. And I came here to this place. I came here to tell you what I told my best friend that day. I told my best friend, and this is my most sincere belief. I believe that this little space called now and the people who enter it do not happen by accident. I do not believe for one minute that the people who show up in your life happen by accident. In fact, I think it's quite by assignment. And it has nothing to do with what you do for a living. The truth is anybody can do what you do. Anybody can do what I do. The fact that you're the best in the world at what you do, the fact that you've partnered with each other to make yourself better, the fact that you chase wealth in the process of helping people. You see, you can be heroic and create wealth at the same time. The fact that you're the best in the world at what you do is icing on the cake, but that's not why people come to you. They don't come to you for what you do. They come to you for who you are. They come to you to get a little piece of something that they can't get anywhere else. And the only way you can deliver it to them is to be invested in this space with them, not distracted by our devices, our vices, and every crisis that we find ourselves in. Oh, no, we have to invest in this moment at the cellular level here, not here. You see, I just came here to ask you two questions. Number one, can you look in the mirror and see the faces of the people who make you better. Go ahead and pick up that mirror that came in your box. 
Can you look in the mirror and see the faces of the people who make you better, the people who poured into you, the people who mentored you, the people who have helped you on this journey, the people who have helped you write your story? If you can see those faces in the mirror standing next to you, before your head hits the pillow tonight, you should thank one of them before you can't. But here's the real question. Who looks in the mirror and sees your face? Who looks in the mirror and says, I'm better because you showed up. I'm better because you didn't blow through this season for something more important than me. I'm better because you took the time to hear my story even though you didn't have the time or the interest. I'm better because you smiled even though you're dealing with your own garbage. You see, here's what you don't know. The next person that you encounter, you don't know that they didn't just get a diagnosis that they didn't see coming. You don't know that they didn't just find out their 35-year marriage is blowing up. You don't know that they didn't just put their 13-year-old kid in rehab for the third time and they're at the end of their rope. You think you know why they're there. You think you know why you're there. You don't. And the only way you can is to be fully invested in this moment with them, to move them from where they are to someplace new, to solve their most pressing problems, to take them places they could have never gotten to on their own. Oh, that's why you're there. You see, John Maxwell says when we die, they will summarize our entire life in one sentence and they'll carve it in a piece of stone. Doesn't it make sense for you to decide what they're going to write on your rock? Don't leave it to the people you leave behind. They will get emotional and mess it up. They'll put stupid stuff on there. I've seen it. You decide the through line for your life and then get up every day for the rest of it and walk it out. Pour it into the people that you serve and serve with help people dot 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 with no strings attached create an exceptional experience for the people in your life take responsibility for your life and see life in each other through this beautiful lens of optimism in my book that spells hero and if ever there was a time this world needed heroes it's now and more specifically the world needs your hero and at 53 years old I'm still naive enough to believe that we can change the world I have a sign in my office that says, always be yourself unless you can be Batman. And then you should always be Batman. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Kevin Brown. It's been an honor to be in your space today.